0: Welcome to a whole load of property, business, and mindset—a podcast bringing together like-minded people who have an interest in all things business, property investing, and personal development. No matter what stage of your journey you're at, and now here's your host, Dan Cooper.
1: Hi, Heidi. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, you know, we, we've only recently met, so like I say, thanks for coming on, and I'm sure it's going to be an unbelievable episode with the with the content and the value you'll we'll be able to give. So, you know, brilliant. How how is everything going your end?
0: Thank you. No pressure. <laughs> um Yeah, really good, thank you. Thanks for having me, because, you know, I'm not very famous or anything, so yeah, it's a privilege to be on, to be honest, and been asked, so yeah, not bad, thank you. How are you?
1: Yeah, good, thank you. Good, not too bad. Um Like I say, you're not famous, but who knows, one day you might be, so
0: um, oh, for good not for bad
1: <laughs> yeah I'm sure it'll be for good Um, so like I say cheers for coming on just um, introduce yourself then Heidi what is it you know to tell tell the listeners who you are and and, and what you're doing
0: Cool, oh, yeah so I'm Heidi um, those that are local uh, I'm on the South Bank those that are not I always say I'm from Hull when I'm not Um, so when people go oh you don't sound like you're from Yorkshire and I'm like well not really so yeah that's to differentiate that. Um, My real-time, full-time job, I work for a a well-known homeless charity. I'm a contract manager. I I don't know who trusted me with that position, but that's that's how it is. Um, And I predominantly work on prison contracts. So I manage um, prison contracts across the whole of Yorkshire and East Midlands. And I specialise in trying to find vulnerable adults leaving prison uh, or on probation accommodation within the area. In my business, um, my absolute dream would be to work in that sector. But at the moment, um, it would be a conflict. So I'm kind of focusing on a few different strategies. So um, I'm doing rent-to-rents, uh, deal packaging, uh, flips, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I'm doing a little bit of a mash-up, really. Uh, and because we're Northern, all the Southerners like Northern people for some reason. So, yeah, that's a little bit about me.
1: Including myself. <laughs> Being Southern exactly. myself, yeah. Are
0: you a proper oh god? I'm off, I'm off now. <laughs> Am I
1: proper southern? Yeah. I was uh, born in Southeast London. So i I've lived up here for about five years now. So yeah, proper southern, as as you might call it. But all my mates back home seem to think my accent's disappearing. Um every time they say that, I like to go home for a weekend and, and, and get it back. Um I don't get the whole accent yet, I don't want it. So
0: don't don't have it. Do you know? Let's see if you are proper northern. Have you bought chip spice and taken
1: it out of Hull? I'm not taking it out, but I've got a pot in my cupboard. It's the best thing ever. So yes. so for those of you who don't know what chip spice is, um, if you ever visit Hull and you buy a portion of chips, it will be the orange flavoured stuff on top of your chips. And it's absolutely amazing. Literally, I love it. I never knew what it was, but every time I get a takeaway now, I ask for extra chip spice because it is banging.
0: Yeah, that's how you know if you're proper northern and from Hull, if you carry chip spice with you yeah so.
1: <laughs> but that um test. yeah exactly um so the reason I, I you know i invited you onto the podcast is you've touched on quite a few sort of um, important things that well, i say important you know your contract manager in, in the criminal justice sector um focusing on you know rehabilitating or providing accommodation for people who are coming out of prison whether they decide to be re- rehabilitated or not that's up to them but um you know obviously we had a conversation and and it was really interesting to know a bit more about this sector and you know probably the the demand for housing in this sector and the opportunity that might be out there and hopefully you can share some of that insight or that information with us today um you know without like say being a conflict of interest with work you know but um i'm sure there's a lot of lot of stuff you can tell us about the sector that well some of us especially including myself that we don't even know
0: yeah definitely do you know it It's it's like a a really hidden sort of sector. And even in my company, it's not very well known. It's not very well spoken about because who wants to help a prisoner? Not many people. Um, So I kind of shout it from the rooftops. I'm really passionate about it. I tell everybody, um, even though I am a property investor and want to be a property investor full time, I still will always be passionate about this subject in this sector. So yeah, as you say, it's not very well known. It's quite frightening. And if you say would anyone house a sex offender? Would your house an arsonist? Bloody hell no, I wouldn't. But actually, when you realise what goes into your housing uh, a person who's leaving prison or on probation or is an entrenched rough sleeper, there's a lot that goes on in the background that nobody ever talks about, because why would they talk about it? So it's interesting for me being a property investor and working in the sector because I'm trying to piece the two things together so I can see it from the public sector side. I can see it from the private side. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of benefits to it that people just really don't know. So there's a lot of hype at the moment around social housing, the care industry, learning disabilities, et cetera. But again, unless you've worked in probation or within the prison, you won't know or have a bloody clue about that side of it. So I'm hoping to educate people either on this podcast through networking events, just come and chat to me. I'm, I'm really happy to help. So yeah, there's a lot of schemes out there that offer guaranteed rent, but also if they don't, there's incentives for landlords to go into that sector as well. Uh, and it's nationwide. It's not the short-term Humber. There's a lot of contracts out there um, really needing accommodation. So, yeah, I'm hoping I can sort of educate people on that.
1: And you say that, so would you say um, that there's a demand for this type of sector? And, and it's something that I'm coming up a lot, a lot, lot, a lot against now, so that, you know, like you said, the social care sector, the social housing sector you know, depending whether it's like, say, um, disabilities, ex offenders, you know, there's so many different sort of sectors, but this one's probably the least spoken about. Um, Like you say, you know, someone said to me, and I don't want to discriminate, but you'd like to touch on a sex offender and an arsonist, you know, they might be an amazing tenant, but if people find out there could be risk to your properties, you know, the security of that property. So um, obviously it's not shouted from the rooftops that they're offenders, but people may may end up finding out. So are you able to go into a bit of detail about some schemes or funding or some of the benefits in a bit more detail?
0: Yeah. So um <clears throat> sorry, coughing all over. So yeah, it's it's tricky because a lot of of the risks are mitigated against. And again, you wouldn't necessarily know that. So for example, some of the sort of well not well known schemes, but the local authorities, so everyone has got a local authority near them, has a pot of money Um, And some schemes or incentives to house entrenched rough sleepers, general rough sleepers, general homeless population, those that are sofa surfing, ex-offenders, basically, and I don't want to bore you too much, but I can go on this for, for days, if you present to your local authority as homeless, they have to uh, basically carry out an assessment to see if you're a priority need or if you're not, if they can accommodate you. There's a lot of law legislation and other boring bits I can go into detail about. But fundamentally, if they have to accommodate you by law, they have to find you something. And that's where you'll find people are stuck in B&Bs or families with seven kids are stuck in B&Bs or you'll, you'll see campaigns at Christmas about you know inadequate housing or someone from London having to move to Birmingham because there's no accommodation. You'll see that within the local authority they either hold their own stock a lot of them don't anymore they've been sold off to other organizations or there's schemes that can tap into where they can sort of pay guaranteed rent through the universal credit or not not even up front but how they can tap into the private sector basically so more locally um there's a person at the council who will go and speak to private landlords, go to networking events, one's coming to mine in January uh, to try and sort of generate interest basically. So a couple of different schemes. If you're a housing association, you may be able to offer guaranteed rent to a private landlord. So the lucrative five-year fixed term, guaranteed rent, no maintenance, no voids, et cetera. They do exist. Um, You've got to look for a community interest company who has housing benefit exemption rate, to tap into that. Again, nationally, go and find out who your providers are in the area. Um, Your local authorities, um, there's a new scheme for ex-offenders, whereas you can encourage a private landlord not to give the accommodation to the council, but to basically take on these tenants. Now, this is where it's it's quite tricky because it's not known at all. Um, But basically you'll get your market rent, you'll get your, I think five weeks deposit upfront depending on your council. And then in addition to that, there's some incentives. Now, every local authority who who has access to this funding will have an incentive, whether it's financial, whether it's paying for the accommodation if someone's trashed the place, whether it's um, extra insurance for those with arson offences, it depends on the council and what they put into that bid basically. Um, but yeah, there's, there's that out there.
1: And is this easily found online or do you have to, obviously you said the counsellor, do you have to have that direct relationship and, and build up there?
0: Yeah. It's, so basically every local authority should have a housing strategy on their website. Yeah. Um, They should do. It should be in date. Not all of them are, disappointingly. I found one the other day that was five years out of date. But basically it should have that strategy of who's their client group, the want to accommodate, what they're going to do about it and what they need. So it might be refugees, it might be ex-offenders, it might be young adult males, it might be families. Each area is completely different. So they should have a strategy on there about what they need to do. Again, relationships are fundamental, especially in property, but also in the homeless sector. You've got to build relationships up with your local authorities, with the homeless team, with the private rent scheme, and you should have a named person on the housing strategy. But if you don't, just ring up the local authority and say, it, this is what I'm looking for. Uh, can you put me in touch with someone? Now, as any public sort of sector, it'll take you bloody ages to get through. You'll never get to the right person. They'll forget about you and it'll take weeks. But if you truly want to make a difference within the sector, persevere and make them relationships um, and go out there and, and see what you can do in your area. And if you need any help, shout, shout out, I'll help you.
1: Oh, fantastic. And how how have you seen it or, you know, how has it been over the past you know, a couple of years and I, I always sort of ask the, the COVID question and the reason being is I've actually um, I've just remembered I was speaking to someone from the local council um, it's usually within the empty homes because um, I, I, I speak to the the lady in the team a lot but um, oh, yeah. she also mentioned she I think she referred me on to someone but it was there's I was just having a conversation they were saying how many homeless people at the minute I put up in hotels Um, because because of covid or during covid they had to be put up and um, due to the fact that there weren't a lot of properties around they've been putting up in hotels you know and you think how how costly that is you know compared to standard lha rates or standard rent
0: um so prior to covid the, the housing sort of sector was sort of diabolical for homeless people anyway um, and then during COVID, the government had the initiative of get everyone in, get them off the streets, basically, stop transmission rates. And again, there was a lot of schemes, whereas we ne- the hotels were empty, fundamentally. And we had a client group that needed accommodating. So there were schemes all around the country to get people off the streets and into hotels. Not for long periods, of t- I can't remember the, the amount of days now, if it was 56 days or something. But basically, it was to get people off the streets into hotels. And as fantastic as that was, when you put a vulnerable adult into a hotel with no support in a pandemic, it's not the best idea. They can't manage it. There was no food. There was no access to food and it wasn't the best approach. Or at least the government had a scheme, get everyone in. So it was like, yes, everyone's not going to be on the streets. Now what we're looking at is that long-term sustainability of getting people off the streets into long-term accommodation. So, um Again, there's contracts out there that can accommodate people for 84 days. Um, So the the sort of client journey is, if they're in prison, our teams, so not my business hat, my work hat, our teams would get a referral uh, from probation, would assess the need of those um, individuals, see where their best place to go, either it's private rent, either it's supported living, um, somewhere like the YMCA, for example, or the scheme that, Accommodate you for 84 days. My personal opinion on that is very pity. The journey takes too long, there's too many people involved, it's not very streamlined. Um, and my sort of passion is get them into long-term sustainable and affordable accommodation. Where we're falling short is a lack of private landlords wanting to enter this market because of the risks and how scary it sounds. But what I can tell you is the amount of people. And the amount of support that goes on in the background to support these individuals into appropriate accommodation is stuff you've never even heard of. The risk assessments that go on, the, the assessments that take place, the support that takes place, the mentoring, loads that go on. And you just think, "Oh, they're going to trash the place. And even my friends who I've spoken in depth about it still go, what if they wreck the house? And I'm like, the, the risk of them doing it is quite slim because of how much support they've got.
1: So yeah it's um it's it's, it's well, quite a fascinating one isn't it really because um, it's like a, a chicken in the egg you know unless you take that risk you don't know whether they're going to trash the place you know but at the same time like you know yeah. i understand your values and why you're trying to do it is because you know people need a fixed address if they don't have a fixed address yeah. it stops them getting jobs it can stop them getting future credit oh, yeah. it can stop them you know some people go into prison they they might be in there 10 15 20 years come out and they completely changed their life around. They made one stupid mistake when they were younger and, and they changed. Mm. Now that's, you know, I don't know what percentage of people that is, whether it's 10%, 20%, but there's also people, you know, they're in and out. Um, So for example, it's giving the people the opportunity as well, isn't it? Giving them the opportunity yeah. to provide them some housing, whereby they can turn their life around and, and potentially yeah change their whole life.
0: Well, I always say, I'm a bit blunt, me. <laughs> I'm a bit bit too honest. But I always say, if somebody's on the streets at risk of re-offending, what have they got to lose? They may offend again. If you put them in accommodation with support, really help them, they've got something to lose. So it's something to aim for, something to be proud of. It's their own home or their own job or their own, I don't know, whatever. So the risk of re-offending is lower because they've got somewhere stable. And then obviously you can get them a bank account, you can get them benefits set up, get them that support. So yeah, it's, it's difficult because, you know, who wants to give them that chance? Unless you can find a golden scheme of guaranteed rent for five years.
1: With any damages covered and all that. But yeah. then again, you know, it's it comes down to the funding available as well. That funding may not be available, but, you know, yeah. you, you might have well guaranteed rent for five years, you know so some of my tenants have only been in well six months so five years is fantastic at market rent isn't it and i'm God assuming yeah. once the lha rates or the market rates go up then then the rent will go up in line with that as well and being a, a council or a local authority they're probably i'll say honest uh, probably a lot more aware of of what's going on and, and be more willing to pay
0: yeah it's it's this sort of because the yield right so as a property investor i can see both sides of it or oh, the yields are not return on investment, return on cash employed, blah, blah, blah. Whatever. Do you know what I mean? All all the jargon. And it's not the best yield. But actually, if you take away the messing about of your voids, the maintenance, my leaky tap, do you know what I mean? Just the day-to-day hassle of managing people. Take all that away. It's bloody worth the yield, the lower yield. Of course it is. Um, And it's less hassle than your home has been taken care of. So, yeah, for me, me, it's a no-brainer. Sadly, I can't tap into it personally, but for me it's a no-brainer.
1: Yeah. So what's the ideal property then? If someone comes to you and said, I've got this property, you know, that's exactly what we're looking for. What is it? What or does it vary?
0: Well, yeah, so it varies. This is what I mean about building relationships up with the appropriate people. So I I know most of the accommodation in Yorkshire because of what I do as a job. So some the 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 best The best accommodation is one-bed single units. That's like, wow, if if you can get older than them, bloody brilliant, anyone will take them off you. Because predominantly, homeless people are young single males, basically. The majority of them, because of the lack of priority need that those people have, unless they've got substantial mental health issues. One-bed single units anywhere in the country will probably be snapped up. I had someone in London say to me, "Oh God, I keep getting off of these one beds. Don't know what to do with them." I was like, "What? Take them? Give them to the council? <laughs> like, what are you doing?" Um, what happens generally is people will go, "Oh, I've bought a six-bed HMO on the worst street in Hull. Do you want it? No, we don't." <laughs> so yeah. you've got to you've got to not buy and supply for the market, but figure out what that person needs first. So again, I've, there's people at the local authority who will take anything. Because they've got to accommodate families and young young males and you know couples or whatever. So they'll probably take anything off you because again, it's really tricky to house large families, especially with the refugees coming in as well, predominantly the large families. So they need quite a big accommodation. So like I know Hall need three, four bedroom houses. Other schemes, three beds are pretty good because again, with this clientele, you don't want any more than three together, really. Uh, because of the dynamics of the people in the property um but again it depends on your scheme depends who you're housing so i supported someone in birmingham to say um they want to do rent to rent social housing and i said refugees is quite prevalent in the area go to your local authority find out what they need go find it basically um so yeah that's what i'd say
1: basically sort into order then aren't you you're basically sourcing into yeah, order. And if, if, and if you have them conversations first, like you said, building up the relationship and the network internally with the local authority, they will tell you what you need. So if you if you can go and get it and you want to get into this sector, it's probably worth having that conversation, right?
0: Yeah, it's easier. So like for hall, for example, just near the hospital, you a six-bed HMO near the hospital for nurses, bloody brilliant. If you've got a six-bed HMO there, don't really want prisoners in it. So again, look at your area. Look at the housing strategy online. Figure out what the priorities are. Go make relationships up and go, what are you after, and I'll help you. So, yeah,
1: it's very very it's a interesting sector. Market, really. It is, yeah. It seems it, and you know the the social sector. Um, like I said, I've been so I have a few um people that I've been working with on on some properties. So portfolio landlords selling them, and and they're primarily being snapped up by by um social housing providers you know I don't get to know the intricacies and the ins and outs or who they're for but you know and I'm getting asked a lot I need properties with vacant possession they need to be vacant possession I guess it's there's such a demand or such a long list of people that need housing you know can't wait two months can't wait two months plus to for, for the others to be kicked out
0: yeah exactly but like if I'm not an expert on like although I've worked in the learning disability in the care sector many moons ago a 10 bed all ensuite care home may be sufficient for those with learning disabilities. You don't want 10 ex-prisoners living together unless it's staffed 24 hours a day. Yeah, It's so, be yeah, like being it's... back
1: in prison, isn't it? I guess.
0: Yeah, exactly. But the thing is as well, if you're if you're an entrenched rough sleeper or an ex-drug addict, for example, and you're trying to get away from that lifestyle and you're living with someone who's still in that lifestyle. Out. you're never going to get away from it so or you feel
1: that that way so yeah it's taken yeah, away it's the, uh yeah no I fully agree it's taken away the um the temptation isn't it I guess yeah. yeah so that's a lot about your you know the synergies between your day job and what you want to achieve in in, in the property world what made you get into property was it purely so, that
0: no not really I fell into that by accident but I love it so <laughs> yeah but then I, I don't know how I do I just always wanted to work in a prison and then I was like oh here I am um so property I've always loved property from even being a child I actually remember I don't think I've told anyone this but I actually remember speaking to my neighbor when I was about six going, can I look around your house and she was like no you freak <laughs> and I've just always loved property and then I remember saying to my dad um I'm, I'm gonna buy loads of houses me when I'm older and he's like yeah sure um and I remember the first one I bought strategically because of where it was. Um, and I've, I've just always had a passion for it. And then I accidentally did a rent to HMO, lived in it, didn't realise what it was at the time. I think my landlord would, was really creative. And I still kick i still kick myself to the, this day about not doing what I should have done. So basically, I was a student at Lincoln, lived in a HMO. Now I know it was unregulated and illegal had no fire doors it was crap um and I used to basically manage it for her and then I was like right I'm leaving now I'm, I'm, I'm done and she was like no no stay stay you can just take on the whole tenancy on your own and then do what you like with the property so I was like all right cool um and then my husband was going in the forces anyway so I was like well he's leaving so I'll, I'll stay here rented out the rest of the bedrooms did it wrong put them all on ASTs when I was on an AST. Uh, it was 10 years ago, so don't, don't shout at me. Um, made a lot of money and then bought my first property, sort of flip. What I should have done, like an idiot, stay in the bloody property for another five years and keep buying HMOs. <laughs> That's what I should have done. So yeah, I've kind of gone into property, not un- unconventionally, but yeah.
1: An accidental investor, I guess, um, using a creative yeah. strategy that you say 10 years ago, it probably wasn't called rent to HMO. Rent to bed sit just,
0: just imagine if if I wrote a book on that. Could have been rich.
1: <laughs> so, I know, I know. Just gotta find another niche now and find write a book about that. i'm an idiot.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Live and you learn, don't so, you? I guess. But um so yeah, so what what did you do after the HMO then? Have you done any um property training or uh, where are you where are you in your sort of current situation now in terms of property investing?
0: Yeah. So, so after the HMO, I bought a lovely little three bed terrace on a really awful street in Lincoln. And I did it up, and I lived in it and I flipped it and I kept, well, I kept it really. Um, And I put a tenant in and then I released the equity and bought my residential that I'm fully refurbing from top to bottom. Um, And then I ran out of money and I wanted to buy another house. And I was like, God's sake, this is so slow. Why, how are all these people millionaires? So I, I found some property trading uh, with Progressive that adds, that just the values stuck with me. I'd recently done property training with another provider, well, will name no names, um, three years ago. And the values were that awful. It just put me off property. So it, it's taken me a long time to get back into it. And it was only when my friend said, oh, I've done some training with the blah, blah provider. I'm going to be a property investor. And I thought, do you know what? If you can do it, I'm I'm getting my ass a kick and kick my ass again and I'm going to get on with it so signed up to some property training signed up to some mastermind mentoring signed up to a ppn before doing that god knows why the hell I did that um and yeah I've only really been doing it actively and consistently for about six months now so although I've been in property three years I've I'm, I'm a newbie I'm going to class myself as a newbie basically
1: yeah i suppose there's um you know there's so many strategies out there so many training courses um you know I've, I've been on a couple of courses i had a mentorship did i get value in it yeah i did get value in it but you know they're all different aren't they like you said people have different values people want to achieve different mm-hmm. things so if you are looking to do it, i'd say make sure it's specific to your strategy specific to what you want to do um but yeah what what, what's your favorite strategy out of them or what, what strategy are you doing? So you're you flipping um, or you flip your old house, took the equity out. Obviously you've got a buyer to let then. So you're currently doing this house. Are you flipping this on? Do you think, or are you are going to stay there? or will do the same. Pull your equity no. and get another buyer to let.
0: So, <laughs> so this one is my family home. I'm going to live in it till I die. Basically. That's the plan. I, I know I'll probably move, but don't tell him that. But, um, yeah, <laughs> this i've I've basically done this house up to a real nice spec so i will keep it but it's the perfect footprint for an eight bed hmo basically and everyone i've showed the floor plan to has absolutely kicked me and gone what an idiot why didn't you turn it into a hmo and to be fair the the council wouldn't have allowed it it's in a conservation area it's in a nice nice area opposite a grade one listed church and the, the hoops i've jumped through to get my extension is unbelievable so never mind turning it into like a an eight bed hmo so yeah my oh my favorite strategy I don't know if i've got a favorite strategy i fell into deal packaging i'm not going to say it's my favorites it absolutely isn't um but yeah probably the looking around old grungy properties and having a vision to to make them better is probably what i'm passionate about right now
1: i fully agree with you i, I love there's nothing more rewarding than taking a really shit grotty property and, you know, getting it on the market to let it the end and just seeing the transformation, you know, um, when the walls are falling down uh, for, uh, when the walls are falling through ceilings are falling down, just being able to, you know, get a good team of builders in. So I use the same build all the time, the fantastic team. They go in, mm. knock it out do a fantastic job. And just seeing, seeing the end product is such a rewarding feeling. I think, um, it's amazing or surprising how how many shithouses houses are out there how how much stock it's there is. probably loud. not so much now this i was just getting them isn't it
0: yeah i wouldn't say this is my passion but i don't know oh, i don't know it must be i sit on two groups with the council cuz <clears because throat> i'm a geek but, <laughs> so i sit i actually sit on an empty homes group and i sit on the town plan so no, everyone's like oh you've got to get a copy of your town plan bloody hell i'm actually writing hours uh with a group of people to shape what Barton's gonna look like in the future. And I've learned so much about bloody section 106 money, developments, what developers have to do, all the hoops have got to jump through. And and basically I'm doing that because there's a lot of old empty properties in Barton. And I walk past them every day going, what the heck, why are these empty? They're doing my head in. They're all grade two listed buildings. So actually, my passion or my interest would be how can I turn all these crappy, empty properties, all these commercial properties into a stunning place? And then they wonder, like, why nobody wants to come here for tourism. I'm like, well, do something about this. So hopefully I can do something about it and make a difference locally because I'm a resident as well and put all my knowledge, training and passion to to shape where I live. So that's kind of a long winded strategy
1: but it's a very interesting one to say the least so um what, what else are you doing so um just for the benefit of the listeners um you know clubhouse is a, a huge app there's many listeners on there um you're currently you have your own um i don't even use it that but is it episode or a show um wow. what, what do you call it <coughs>
0: probably a room i don't know we'll call it a
1: room call it a room so, so yeah you currently have something going on on there as well for you know, for the people who um, use Clubhouse a lot, what is it you do? And, and it might be something that they're interested in.
0: Yeah, so basically, so I'm we'll say I'm a newbie property investor and I, so I'm very transparent. I've been diagnosed depression, anxiety for many years. That alone's a challenge, but when you put that into property investing, round a full-time job, round kids, round my own refurb, round everything else, it's really bloody hard work. And You'll have like nine lows to one high, and when you see people posting in like social media, it's always with a picture of bloody keys, and it drives me mad. And I'm well known for moaning about people with keys. No offense to anyone who's done it, by the way, but they always share the highs. Oh, oh, I've I'm what I'm a millionaire. I drive a Porsche now. I've got a million properties, but they never share the lows. So this clubhouse room is based upon supporting each other. So it's called Wellbeing Wednesday. It's supporting each other. In property, are you having a shitty week? Do you need to speak to someone? And it's basically a platform where me and my pal Varesh talk about how our week's gone, support each other, and then invite people to the stage to sort of share their week as well. So it's kind of fundamentally to help each other in property, discussing the lows, the challenges, yes, and the highs, but also, yeah, getting each other through it.
1: I guess it's quite important, isn't it? Um, like I say, it can be extremely stressful at times and and allowing people to get things off their chest in 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 a forum whereby no one's going to be judged and with people who probably understand what they're going through because it's in a a similar industry you know they're probably all facing similar challenges and having people that can that can give back so so is that the reason why you started it obviously because of your own experiences and you felt that you needed something out there there wasn't so you decided to take it upon yourself and start it
0: I couldn't yeah I couldn't find anything to sort of say who's moaning about this and who do I talk to? So I was like, well, if there isn't one, I'll make one. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just sort of support each other. I've got a real good group of real life property friends now. So when I first came into the journey six months ago, I was shitting myself. I, I'd never slept away from home. I went to Peterborough. I was full of anxiety. Oh, it was awful. And I was just like, what am I doing? And I thought, I need, I need to get out of my comfort zone. And if I'm going to do it, I need to be consistent. And and I just take someone everywhere with me all the time. I thought, get on with it, you idiot. And go and do it. And I've met such honestly, like genuinely best mates through property that support each other day in, day out, moan to them all day, every day, uh, we're like accountability groups together. And then I'll see like someone in a social media platform going, Oh God, has anyone experienced this? Or can you help me with that? And then when you actually speak to them, they've not reached out to anyone in months. And you think, How are you doing this alone? So it's more to say, Come and join us and don't feel alone in this journey because it's hard bloody hard no one talks about it really
1: yeah i guess that's one of the reasons why i started this is uh you know I, i used to listen to podcasts and um just learning about property um listening to what other people are doing you know gaining tips mine was more about obviously the personal development side of things um but yeah reason i started this is, is to give back and that's exactly what you're doing but you, you seem to have a uh, a track record of starting things up when there isn't something that you want to do so uh you know I where i'm going with this yeah you know where i'm going <laughs> with this yeah yeah ppn humberside
0: yeah so again i'm either really awful at research not doing my own due diligence or thinking oh, I'll, I'll give it a bash um so yeah i started I started PPN Humberside because I thought, so basically it was based on what's my biggest weakness. And all you hear is get out your own way, get out your comfort zone and sort of smash life and be consistent. So I thought, what's going to make me uncomfortable? What's going to make me get out of my own way? And what's my biggest weakness? And I thought it was raising investor finance is going to be mine. So I thought, why not create a group where people will come to me? And I'm lazy as well. (laughs) So people will come to me. And then I thought strategically, I'm going to do it in Barton again, because I'm pretty lazy. But two, it's going to bring Hull and Lincolnshire together. So if you live on the South Bank, you'll know no one in Barton and surrounding areas can be asked to go to Hull. Just don't do it. People in Hull, I don't think I've ever even been on the South Bank. like, ooh, what's that bloody place over there? So I did it on purpose to bring people together uh, because there's a lot of good stuff in Hull and Hull, in Yorkshire. There's a lot of good stuff in Lincolnshire and I'm trying to bring it together. So that was really the purpose of doing it. And also because, yeah, I didn't, I, I wanted some friends in property.
1: Now, it's interesting that you're bridging the gap. Um, like I say, you know, I, I primarily focus on whole, but um, bring, bringing together people from the North Bank and the South Bank, and there's probably lots of things that, you know, they have in common, um, building up the relationships. You know, I know some people yeah. from the South Bank and I get inquiries for the South Bank. So building up that network is definitely beneficial as well. You have some fantastic speakers on. So you had um, on the recent one, Luke Brindley and Paul Tinker. Uh, I was actually speaking to Luke the other day. Yeah. He he's he's offered to come on the podcast as well. So that'd be really interesting. Oh, Unfortunately, I, I couldn't I, I couldn't I couldn't make the one on Thursday. Um, you know, it, yeah, I know. I do <laughs> apologise, but no, it's it's, um, it's quite refreshing. So I've obviously been to there, there's some other networking events in Hull. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're not as good. You know, it might be a, a lower turnout, but I think having it in the South Bank, you know, you're getting more people from from around the country and it's not too far. You know, you've got other ones around, you've got places like Leeds, but it's always good to branch out, I think, and go to other networks. So, you know, for people who might want to travel up to this end of the country, where, when, when is it? When do you hold it? How can people oh, get I'm on not, there?
0: I'm not good at this side of things, but I, I had mince pies last time, if that helps.
1: <laughs> mince so... pies and biscuits sold. <laughs>
0: Well, do you know what I've learned from holding this PPN? I will be professional. I'm never professional. I'm lying to you. Individually wrapped chocolates get eaten a lot faster than biscuits, if you needed to know that. And that's what I've learned from PPN Humberside. But it's on the fourth Thursday of every month, uh, 6.30 registration, and I try and get speakers that will add value to whoever's there, basically. So even if you're, I don't know, a builder, you'll still get value from the speakers because I'm trying to, you know, make sure it's valuable for everybody. Um, And also I've had quite a lot of people from quite a lot of areas. So Leeds, Rotherham, uh, Doncaster, Wolverhampton was a big surprise when someone showed up from there. Uh, Birmingham, Staffordshire, Lincoln, Hull. So I was like, oh, no one in Barton can be bothered to go let you know <laughs> but people are traveling a couple of because hours they know you that's why nice, yeah they're like oh god what's this bloody thing in barton it's it's open after half past six what's going on
1: i know but um like i say i i went to i didn't know the first one i was uh the first one that was on to be honest but the second one um yeah i went there it was i can't remember his name the, the guy who was a an estate agent for a number of years gave a lot of value about oh you know, the relationships, that was it. Yeah. Relationships with agents and I'm finding more so that they are important. You know, I never used to think I'd get any, build any sort of network or build any sort of relationship for an agent, but there's now agents I work with who bring investors and pay way, not way above the odds. That's, that's the wrong term. They offer and are happy to spend more on a property because they see the long-term value than, you know, people who have been on training, so it makes my job easier as a sourcer They're still yeah. achieving what they want as the, you know, the yeah. net ROI. But agents are, you know, and they're the biggest lead generators for properties in the area primarily, aren't they? Because people, when when you want to sell your yeah, house, you don't think really I'm going to go yeah. to a property sourcer so You think I'm going to go to an estate agent. Well, you do,
0: and it's surprising because I've made a relationship with quite a lot of agents, and one. I get a lot of off-market properties through this estate agent. And it's, it's, it's an easy, brilliant relationship. Another one, uh, just was trying to suss each other out, really, because they have off-market stuff, but then they're selling it and then, it. and then it's a bit strange. So you've kind of got to suss out the agents that, one, you'll work best with, but ultimately a shared vision. So there's one particular estate agent that's absolutely brilliant. She works across the South Bank and the North Bank. And she'll just ring me now and go, right, got a property with your criteria do you want to see it first yes i bloody do do you know what i mean so how do i not built that relationship up? i wouldn't have a clue about it so yeah find one that you share values with ultimately they want to sell properties or let them out ultimately i want to get them so yeah you've got to you've got to build them up
1: yeah and i guess don't go to the corporates as well um i'm not saying that they don't have the properties they might do but you know if you think about at the end of the day there's a. Uh, you know, bloke who's been an estate agent for 40 years, he's an independent, the money he makes from selling properties are feeding his kids or, you know, his grandkids or whatever. So if you can act fast, so, you know, support them in their growth, see their vision and support them, then they're obviously going to come to you straight away. As long as you can take action and make sure that, you know, the properties you're either buying them or passing them on or sourcing them on, then, you know, it's worth its weight in gold.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm really honest as well. Like I just look everything I do. I'm a bit a bit too honest, probably sometimes a bit too blunt. But actually, it's worked out better for me because you don't you don't piss anyone about. So like there's a property. Um, it the deal didn't stack up for me. Basically, there was too much money left in, and I couldn't raise the finance on it. But I'm working with another investor to buy it, and then I'll buy it off him in five years. So I'm gonna do rent to -to 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 SA on it. That's the dream. The estate agent knew that the whole time. Um, I was really honest with her. So it doesn't come as a surprise when I go, I've got an offer. And then she she then takes me seriously because she understands the offer. If I had gone in there, lost the deal, she'd have thought I was an idiot. So you've got to kind of, I'm really transparent with people. because it, it is all about relationships at the end of the day. You've got to help each other
1: out. Yeah, definitely. And estate agents, you know, they work in property, but, you know, and, you know, it might be completely different. I'm not generalizing. So for any agents out there, I'm not generalizing or stereotyping whatsoever. But a lot of agents aren't aware of everything that goes on in the property investing world, the strategy-wise, you know. So when you go up to them and you talk about, I want to rent it for this amount of time and buy it, you know, or you're not transparent and, and you put a really low offer in and you're not explaining why, et cetera, then, you know, that's probably, they're not going to take you seriously. And you probably sort of hinder your relationship before it starts. You know, it's, like you say it's about yeah. you know, I don't believe in taking donuts into agents or anything like that. I think that's a load of bollocks, if I'm perfectly honest, you know. Yeah, they'll enjoy mm. them, but you know, that's that doesn't win relationships in my eyes. Um so yeah, it's just you just
0: think, What are you doing, you smoothie dickhead? Coming in here with your donuts, what are you after? That's what
1: that's what I think. Exactly. I'd be like, nice one, thanks. Piss off, go on. Um I've got someone who's gonna buy the He's not spending three quid on crispy creams, but um is Maybe what it is, you know. <laughs> yeah it was, exactly you know, but, it's like this in Hull. you can get Krispy Kreme
0: Oh, they've just got one in Barton I was like yes thank god it's not all the residents apart from me I was well excited but as well I taught an estate agent something um about regulated tenancies now I don't know if anyone has even come across regulated tenancies and I don't know why I was expecting a response then because actually no one's listening yet but Regulated tenancies are very historic tenancies before 1989. And basically the lifelong tenancies, very difficult to evict anyone in in that. You can't really. And a lot of them are coming up at auctions now um, because you can't get rid of the tenants. And the rent is basically below market rent by a long way. And they've got a lot more rights and stuff. And this estate agent didn't have a bloody clue about them. And I was like, oh, here's some info. Enjoy. So actually, if you can offer them a bit of advice, whatever it is as well, you were a long way to building the relationship
1: or further. Yeah, definitely agree. And I think you learn a lot from agents as well. And and I was having this conversation with one, with one the other day. So there was a portfolio um, we were selling or num- a yeah, number of properties, wonderful portfolio is a few, but um, he had an investor interested. And the fact was, you know, I was selling, you can, you can get multiple stamp, uh, multiple dwelling stamp duty relief you know, which not many people actually know about. So if you buy, I can't remember whether it's free or more, um, you don't actually pay the full stamp duty per property. There's a formula to work out what you pay. It's 1% of X or... Ooh,
0: I didn't know that much, clever.
1: Yeah, so, you know, I was talking about him and, and the fact that his investor could offer more money because he's saving X amount on the stamp duty. Um, but yeah, it's, if you go on the stamp duty webs on the website... Um, gov.uk whatever sort of links you go through for stamp duty there's a lot of exemptions that people don't know about so on some of the properties i just bought um obviously less than 40k fine but i also didn't pay stamp duty on some of the other ones because they were uninhabitable so you actually pay the stamp and then you just get a refund you get it back um you know it's probably someone from hmrc listening i'm gonna fucking check that make sure he's he's not bullshitting us i'm gonna find you yeah, exactly. But gen- genuinely, there's a there are a number of exemptions out there that, um, and it's knowledge power, isn't it? It's having that knowledge, and you know, he was really fascinated by that point. And as well as that, um, you know, what did he tell me? He, he told me something the other day that related to uh, the letting side of my business, which was really fascinating. You know, and it's it's about having that sort of relationship. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know how we got onto talking about agents so much when this was more to talk about the the social care sector. Um,
0: I told you, I I digress a lot, to be fair. I'm I'm like this anyway.
1: Yeah, Um, but it's interesting. It's all good content.
0: Yeah, as long as it's valuable. There was a little newbie tip as as well. I was going to give a little newbie tip because, uh, so with the PPN, run Clubhouse, got some accountability. I just speak to people constantly, basically. And a lot of it was about, um, where am I going with this? This always happens to me. But yeah, it's about obviously relationship building and get getting out there basically. Because a lot of people don't like live videos. They don't like putting content out. They don't like going on social media. And, and they don't tell anyone about what they actually do in bloody property. And since I've started speaking and openly saying, look, I do this. This is what I do as a job, but also as a business. It opens the doors for so many other things. So for example, and I'll tell you a really long-winded version of where I'm coming from. So I did a live video. Someone watched it. They've been watching my lives. Reached out to me, wanted JV with it. I was like, oh, cool. Nice one. It's working. That opened the door to work with someone else local that is under the radar. So now we've got like a three-way partnership. I've got a JV with a property I sourced doing some refurb on. So I reached out to this person, and said, I need a builder in Hull. Can you get me one? Yes, I can. Um, he got me a builder. Spoke to the builder for 20 minutes tonight is getting an 11 bet, 11 portfolio, what am I on about? 11 properties in a portfolio on one street in Newcastle, that's worth 1.1 million. Would I be interested in taking them? What the fuck? Do you know what I mean? And that's how relationships work and your network expands. That's from one live video. So what I'd say to new is when you get out there and tell people what you're doing.
1: Yeah, definitely agree with that. And, you know, the cliche saying your net. Your network is your net worth. Um, I truly believe that relationships are the most important thing. And when I've done the mentorship in the past, when I, you know, go to networking events, the people you meet, you never know who or you never know who is watching. I, I received the call today as well. You know, someone actually rang me who um, recruited me for one of my full time positions before and said, look, I've been watching what you're doing, you know, tell me about circumstances, which just opened the door for opportunity just from putting posts on social media. You know, like you say, there is a a lot of people sort of fluff it up. Um, They don't always tell about the challenges. You know, I'd like to, you know, I like to say about the challenges, you know, if if I do refinance in a few weeks and it's really downvalued, I'll get on the podcast and say about it because it's, it's what's happening. You know, it's what's going on. You know, not everything is perfect and, you know, people wearing most tinted glasses all the time, it's not always perfect. So I think people do need to know the shit side of it. I say the shit side of it, the challenges. Oh, God, yeah. You know, I wouldn't say it's a shit side, but there are challenges and it is important. But, yeah, yeah, get out there, whether you're posting, speak to people. You know, for, for example, for yourself, you know, I can obviously tell how much value you like giving, you enjoy what you do. So, what you know, would you be open for people to just reaching out to you, just saying, look, you know, I'm really interested about the sector. How can I help it? I'm passionate you know, blah, blah, blah. Is it something that, you know, you probably don't want 100 people messaging you a day, but, you know.
0: Would it be awkward if I went, no, actually, just leave me alone. I just want my... So, yeah, I'll probably cut the edit. A lot of people (laughs) message me anyway. Yeah, a lot of people message me anyway because, like, I've done a post or whatever, but, yeah, definitely. Because if they message me and I can help them fundamentally to change the sector, that's the dream, isn't it? I don't don't want to see homeless people on the street or in B&Bs or in shitty accommodation, so yeah, if that will help in the long term, bloody
1: hell, message me. Um. Yeah, it's the law of reciprocity as well, isn't it? It's, you might give some value to or some information to someone now and in the future that might come back and help you significantly, especially in the sector and help, you know, you achieve what you want to do. Um, so, what, you know, where can people find you then if they do want to reach out? And I'll put your information in the show notes, but just for the benefit oh, of people listening... You.
0: So, where can you find me? I'm best on WhatsApp. If you've if they, you've got the pleasure of having my number, um, if not, if you're on Facebook, I'm Heidi Louise because I like to uh, operate on a different name. Um, I'm on Clubhouse. I'm in I'm in the progressive group. I'm in there a lot. If I am local to you, I'll be at Greg's probably. <laughs> um, yeah, or some sort of eatery. So yeah, Heidi, Heidi Louise Facebook probably the best then
1: i'll give you my whatsapp oh brilliant and uh every four thursday you'll be at barton ppn if you've got that
0: yeah apart from december because it falls between christmas and new year and everyone will be eating cheese it's not in december but the Drink next in one port. in january is a social housing special if you're brilliant. interested
1: this episode will definitely be out there so um what i'll do is i'll also put a link in maybe to the the ppn site where people can go on check their uh check the humberside one um you also have a facebook page as well it might be worth people uh liking that as well oh, just I so do, yeah. people yeah yeah see all this yeah, information I'm not, I'm
0: not a tech person and i'm not uh, good at tech
1: so yeah but it's, it's definitely good cool. uh is it is a definitely good event like i said i've been to went, went to the one um could not make last one but i'll be definitely going to the january one um i'm sure you probably get a lot of people with their new year's resolutions but you know it is fantastic the the speakers are fantastic and um yeah pleasure pleasure you coming on it's really interesting to know about the you know the so, the social housing sector because it is more prevalent nowadays but this is probably the the one that in my opinion probably gets left on the wayside because not many people know too much about it what funding's available so yeah, yeah um if it's if it if it is interesting, exactly. where can, where can people go other than yourself to find out a bit more information would you say the uh, local authority and speak to your council.
0: Yeah. Your, your local authority, number one, absolutely fundamental. Your homeless teams or your housing options teams at the council. But if not, look in your area for registered housing providers, whether they are community interest companies, so CIC charities, reach out to them as well, because their model basically operates on leasing accommodation of private landlords. Um, so yeah fundamentally they rely on the private sector heavily as well because not many charities can afford to buy their own properties and they don't and there's no funding really for that Um, so yeah reach out to any housing providers in your areas as well see if they need accommodation
1: amazing well thanks very much for coming on Harley. it's been an absolute pleasure Thanks for listening
0: to a whole load of property, business, and mindset. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you like the podcast, please share it to others. In the meantime, to connect with Dan, follow him on Instagram
1: at dancooper1992. Until next time.